Welcome survivors, burnout community, and those just interested. It's Kelly Bubolt's owner, trainer, and burnout prevention mentor, KB Training Connections. Burnout is not taboo. It's a reality in this fast-paced society. But we are not going to let it drive the narrative to our stories. We are going to do something about it. So let's dig in. All right, we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, workload prevention. Now, some of you already know that I do a lot of burnout prevention and building resiliency and actions and habits that are in our control. But I don't think us leaders realize how much is actually in our control that we can prevent. How much work overload that comes our way and we get slammed with that we could have prevented. So I broke it up into three areas to talk about today. We could talk hours about the subject, but I broke it up into three simple tasks that you literally could start tomorrow working on preventing your work overload. The first one is identify what's actually in your control and what's out of your control. You will be surprised how much throughout your workday, the interactions you have with your people, your boss, and your workload that you have in your control. And this is a really important factor in burnout because it's one of the six factors of why people burn out is that overload. So what is in our control? What are you surprised at that's chaotic that you actually create? Let's look into that first. So we're talking to you procrastinators. <laughs> we're talking about the things that we don't want to do that have a deadline and have a hard fast timeline that we wait until the last 24 hours, the last two hours, or the moment we walk into the meeting, and then we are shocked at the chaos that we create for ourselves. So some people thrive on procrastination and that deadline. It's really just a dopamine chemical rush that they're having in regards to that punched up timeline. And certainly there's times where that can be used to motivate you. If you're doing it constantly, you're causing your own chronic stress. You're causing your own work overload. So say you have a report, a large report that's due every quarter. You can do things and collect data throughout every month to build up to that report. Or you can work on it every month to build up to that report. But we don't. And we like to make excuses that there's other fires and there's other priorities. And certainly that can be true in some factors, but... If it's going to be that big of a report and stress you out that much, why aren't we creating some goals or many little stop points to begin the task and then summarize the rest of the report data at the end of the quarter? In, in HR, there was data points that we had to collect to make sure that we actually knew what was going on with our workforce. A good example is turnover. I could wait all year long and create a, a turnover report at the end of the year, but for me, to think about 12 months of people that have exited, retired, medical leave. Did this person leave because of that? Or did they they resign? Or did we terminate? Is it involuntary? Is it not? To go over 12 months of history in my brain, instead of just doing it monthly when it was fresh, there's a big difference there. Do you see the work overload I created for myself instead of just doing it monthly? So what type of things could you do to prevent that work overload by combating that procrastination. Also, what could you increase control of through just a conversation with your boss? It was interesting when I started challenging a few corporate reports we had to do every month in which I had to send three different ways in three different styles, but at the end of the day, it was the same data that we were pulling. 
And when I started questioning the narrative, the corporate people we reported to didn't realize they were doing a triple duty on these reports. And the great thing was, it wasn't just our HR department, it was also our accounting department. So not everything changed. Of course, it's corporate world where you have a lot of data and you don't do anything with it, right? But there were some reports that we were able to combine and submit to one person, which extremely reduced the workload. The other thing that we could do is do some prep or trend analysis data instead of waiting till the end of year and doing these massive data collection reports in which we don't know what happens to the information, but we just spend days collecting it. So we were able to break down that data into our monthly reports or quarterly reports so it wasn't such a hassle at the end of the year. What type of control can you take by just having a conversation? And certainly they can say no, but I don't think it hurts to just ask the question. As long as you come at it constructively as a productivity management type of activity and you want to systemize or flow workload better, I don't know why that conversation can't happen. Another part of identifying what's in your control is misdirection by yourself. Are you ambivalent? I mean, I, I, I can be very indecisive switching whatever direction I want to go on whatever day of chaos that comes my way. With all that chaos and firefighting that you have around you, it can actually cause you to have frequent misdirection. You don't even know what you're doing. If all that chaos disappeared and I said, what should you be working on right now? Do you even know that? And part of that is we don't ground ourselves often enough in this chaotic, fast-paced world to even know what we're supposed to be doing. And what I mean by that is, what would you be working on if all that busyness, chaos, firefighting went away? What would you be doing? And that should really be your grounded baseline to kind of give you a sense of direction. And it will cause less switching between two different paths. It will cause less confusion to your team when you switch directions depending who's talking to you. The goal is to bring some clarity around your environment so you don't have that misdirection, that you have a clear view of the direction you want to go. Get rid of the ambivalence and make a decision. The other thing that we should be doing is identifying what is not in our control. So why I started with what's in our control is to challenge your mind and thinking because it's easy to play the blame game. It's easy to say, I'm not in control of uh, my office space. I'm not in control of people who come in my office and interrupt me. But you really are. I mean, if you were working on a very intense spreadsheet that you did not want interruptions or you start all over again, then that should be a discussion you have with your boss that says Wednesday morning, At 8 o'clock, I'm going to have my door shut for one hour. And I can whip through this report with little to no mistakes and continue on my day. But if I don't do that, it takes me three hours, there's lots of mistakes, and I'm very confused on the outcome of this report. So again, what is in your control and what is out of your control? Another great example is during the pandemic, it was mass on, mass off, stay at home, come in the store, bring one person with you in the store, or bring no people into the store. You get one person per household. It was so confusing. And so this sense of chaos from store to store and what's going on, you can prevent by going on their website, by calling their store and listening to their automated message, which lists the requirements of mass or how many people can be in the store. So again, 
you might not have control of if you have to wear masks or how many people are allowed in the store. Certainly, we don't have control of that. But we do have control about the information that we research before we go to that store. It's no different than checking if the store is open. What is the hours of the store? Are they closed on Sundays? Those type of things. If we want to prevent some of this overload that comes at us through the day, what type of research can we do? A great example of this in the workforce is what are people's schedules? Have you ever came up to a deadline and you're looking for someone and now they're off? They come in later in the day because they have PTO or appointments? If it's that important, why aren't you catching up with that person the previous week and saying, hey, I'm going to need those numbers on Wednesday. I want to make sure you're around or who should I contact for those numbers on Wednesday after month end closing? Do you see that the overload just dismantled itself because of your preventative actions? You know that that is a very specific time that you need very specific data from a very specific position. So you can prevent all the stress around that person, oops, is out, or late in the day they come in. You can prevent all that stress by just understanding and researching the situation. Identify what's in your control and what is not in your control. The second part, I do many courses on this, many different workshops, but I'm just going to take a little tidbit out of it, is building resiliency. Resiliency is not born. You, do, you don't get born with the super strength and superpowers. It's actually just really built, and it's built from prevention techniques and experiences. So some of the toughest people you know have had one some of the biggest struggles and they've rebuilt themselves so that's one way certainly is honoring those struggles and what you learn from them but an easier way is prevention every stressor will bounce off of you easier the thicker the armor so if you think of someone who doesn't take care of themselves they don't exercise they don't eat healthy and then they get hit with a sickness like an illness a virus a bacterial infection, anything, they're going to have a harder time recovering from that because their armor wasn't there to protect them from the virus and the bacteria. The same goes with people that have chaotic lifestyles or are constantly in response mode. You're not building armor. You're just responding to your environment constantly. So eventually the body is not going to be able to take the punches as hard as someone who controls their day, as someone who sets up their mornings. As someone who's already identified what's in their control and what's not in their control and did all those prevention techniques. What are you doing in your lifestyle, your diet? What are you doing to remove toxic environmental factors, personalities around you? We have a whole other episode on setting up your morning that I'm not going to dig into. But that whole portion of your morning and how you set it up is so important every day. Another part of building resiliency is... You cannot make very clear troubleshooting type of decisions in survivorship mode. So if you're running in chaos constantly and that high-paced adrenaline rush, eventually you will crash. Now, can you go longer if you build your resiliency? Absolutely. But you need to build it before the chaos happens. You can't build it as the chaos is happening. You're already down low and stretched thin like a rubber band. You're going to snap. But guess what? There's some people's rubber bands that can stretch really far and make it out if they did the prevention work. 
If you want to learn more about building resiliency, grab up my Resiliency Roadmap course. It's an online course. We break down the four categories to begin building this armor. The third and not last category that I want to talk about is the conversation with your boss. Why I dedicate a whole category to this, along with other episodes about conversations with bosses, is this is something that I see less and less in the workforce as more challenges and problems come up. And I don't know why this is happening when employers are now supporting more of a collaborative and communicative type of environment. I think it's because we create these monsters in our head that we need to be strong and we're tough and so we don't need to ask for help. But the one person that can help you the most is usually your boss. Now certainly those there's toxic bosses out there, there's bad bosses out there, but a majority of clients that I've worked with, I see leaders changing and having the right support and training to be the great leaders. So we need to stop our thinking about this person's not going to listen to me or they're going to see me as a poor performer and start asking for help. Now, if they don't want to provide the help, that's great. Move on and now you can find other resources. But what I have a problem with is when we automatically assume our boss won't help and that's probably the biggest support you can get in work overload. The old saying of they can't fix what they don't know is 100% true when you don't have a conversation with your boss. So this should be a closed door, dedicated and planned time. This shouldn't be a pop in, hey, do you have five minutes type of conversation. This should be, I'm really struggling with some of my workload. Can we take an hour on Wednesday, if you have time at 10 o'clock, to go through my workload and reprioritize? Do you see how that doesn't sound so scary? It's not about poor performance. It's more about, I have a hundred number one things to do. I don't know how to prioritize 100 number one things. If your boss doesn't want to have this conversation, then yes, we are in a bad boss situation that we'll get to in the later episodes. So what you're going to do before you even have this meeting, you found a dedicated plan time with your boss to have it. I want you to prepare a list of current workload items and estimate a weekly time that you're putting towards these workload items. I don't want you to fabricate or make yourself look great because it's not going to fix the problem when you're creating a fake timeline. I want you to actually put a time with your workload. Now, if you haven't done this before your meeting, I would give yourself about two weeks to record this. You can certainly do it over a month as well, but two weeks is a good average timeline to talk about the workload and time commitment each activity has. I want you then to highlight or circle the confusing areas. So this might be, hey, you told me that all five of these items are number one, but all five of these items take about 20 hours a week. So there's not enough time in a week to fulfill all five priorities. How can we better prioritize within the five? Well, you should highlight any confusion about what you're getting from your boss. I also want you to list what other departments are assigning to your workload. Certainly, high performers want to help out everyone. They want to be a resource, but sometimes that's going to be detrimental to your performance because you're trying to do everything for everyone. And other departments like to assign work to you without not even knowing it. You might be in a meeting. No one wants to do the work, so you speak up, and now suddenly you have the workload. So this is a good time to bring clarity with your boss about what is your roles and responsibility and what should be in other departments. A lot of cleanup work 
gets done during that meeting. Another area to listen there is expectations not known from boss. Your number one priority, they think only takes one hour a week and it really takes 20 hours a week. That needs to be cleared up so that expectations from the boss and expectations are clear and aligned. I remember a conversation with my boss about a report that I always found super annoying to do every month. And it would take so long to provide this information and then corporate wouldn't do anything with the information or at least that I would see back. And I remember him saying we just need to do it as part of the month and reporting. And so finally when I sat down and had a discussion about my some of my workload items, he said, well, how much time do you have? And I told him about how much time that report takes me to pull the data for from all different areas and we didn't have systems to support it. And he was shocked. The very next month, I did not have to do that report because he had a conversation with corporate. So these can these conversations can clean up the muddiness around you. The other thing before you have this meeting with your boss, you have your timeline, you have your basically your time audit that you've done. I need you to understand your own needs and how you work. Are you someone that needs that private time for one hour a week to just like slam through data sheets and with no interruptions? Do you need more or less one-on-one meetings with your boss? Do you need to cover different topics every week or every other week so that you stay interested? What is your needs? How do you learn? What environment do you thrive in? Do you like meetings? Do you not like to be in every meeting? So you need to really understand your own needs before you have that conversation because part two of that boss conversation is going to be him or her asking you how they can better support you. Or they're going to ask, how can we change this? How can we systemize it? And now you're going to have some solutions almost ready in your pocket. Hey, I need an hour a week with my door closed so I can whip through this. Or a half day on Thursdays at the end of the month so I can just work on month end reporting. Those type of things are going to be very dynamic to your relationship with your boss, but it also clears up your own understanding of what you need from your work. Do you need a change of work schedule? I coached a leader and she was struggling because due to kid care in the morning, it was chaos to get their kid into childcare. And then by the time she showed up, the emails from the production floor were so far deep that she could hardly catch up before the production meeting. Now, the rest of the day, she would basically be in response mode and clean up. So we worked on how could we better address that time. And before I even met with her again, her and her husband switched their schedule drop-offs so that she could come in early morning to the plant, make sure that everything was taken care of, there was time to answer emails before the production meeting, and she felt like she could breathe. And then the rest of the day, she could actually do work instead of just response mode. And then she would leave at four o'clock to go pick up her child. But by that time, second shift was already running. We smoothed out all the kinks from the night and they were good to go. So depending on the position and the needs of the company, what could you change in your schedule? If you're someone that really needs that focus, maybe it's coming in an hour before everyone else, before those core hours and then leaving an hour early. Now, some companies don't like that because they want customer service coverage or core hour coverage, and that's great, but maybe the department can flex who stays late 
or who comes in early. Again, this is to support work overload. So if we can get more done with that type of rotation, why wouldn't we attack that? Is there a flex home hybrid situation? If you have a department that gets slammed with month end reporting, but they really don't need to be in the office to do it, maybe that's a day that they can work from home with no distractions, an early start, flexibility so they can think, and they get the work done. If the outcome is the work being completed accurately and timely, maybe it's time to explore home or hybrid type of situations. Once you have this meeting with your boss and you're going to gear yourself up so bad in your mind, the monster is going to grow three legs. You're going to have this meeting you're going to realize it was more scary in your head than what actually happened. You're going to find a sense of relief and breathing room and things are finally going to change. They're, you're going to become more productive and you're going to realize you had so much more control than you thought. And then you're going to follow up. Now, you might have to direct this because your boss probably has a million things to do. But how are you going to do follow-up going forward? It's really easy to slip in old cycles, especially when other departments are asking for information or requesting projects from you. They could easily fall into those old patterns. So how are you going to do follow-up going forward? Are you going to put it in your one-on-one meeting agenda items with your boss? Are you going to check in right after month end to see if these new productive actions you both agreed to are working? Maybe you just need to reroute or tweak a little bit. So don't just close the book on this conversation with your boss. It's a continuous conversation until you both feel comfortable and things are sticking. So those are the three areas that you can prevent some workload. Identify what's in your control and what is not. How are you building resiliency now so that when the chaos comes, that the the rubber band can stretch a little bit? And then what conversations are you having with your boss that maybe can relieve some of the workload? You cannot recover from burnout with prescriptions, procedures, or surgery. Come join a holistic community that specializes in burnout to begin your recovery. Each month for only $10, get a specialist lecture, worksheets, and action planning delivered right to your email. Take it from a burnout survivor when I say your recovery begins with just one action step. Burnout is a confusing and lonely journey. I want you to know you're not alone. I hope to see you here again for more recovery tips and education. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your family and friends. If no one shared the word burnout with me, I don't know where I would be today.